Good morning, dear listeners. It is the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I had a sleepover at Cat's. Hell yeah. Don't get too excited. Yeah, calm down. <laughs> what what did we do? We went to uh, Eliza Schlischlinger. I don't know how to say her last okay, name. Okay, so like, um, I was talking to a few people about it. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to a comedy show. And they're like, who are you seeing? And I was like, I can't say her name. I don't name. know how to say her name. <laughs> It's I'm pretty sure Eliza. It's yeah. Schlesinger. Schlesinger. I can't do the sh- yeah. Schling Schling. <laughs> she was great. And then the guy before was um, it Hunter was, Hill. Yes. Yeah, he was funny. He was very funny. Yeah. He he just wants to be a good dad. Just wants to be a good dad. <laughs> he kept saying it over and over, and I was like, "Bro, you're worried bro. about being a good dad. I think you're going to be okay." Uh, yeah, that makes you a good dad. Don't worry. <laughs> but no, it's definitely. Oh, oh, hi. Loki had fun too. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely fun. It wouldn't be an episode of Difficult Damsels without some cat meowing. Some cat so. screaming in the background. Anya. <laughs> we do have our main co-host here. I tried to poke her. It didn't work. She's like, fuck you. <laughs> she's, she's, she got to go outside this morning, so she might calm. be calm yeah. for at least the first hour. So if, if she's calm this episode, we must do that every time. Like, take her out. Let <laughs> her be out for an hour. You're Not getting- an hour. We are getting to a point where we can go outside. Yeah, and it's not death. It's not instant death. And it's not like your skin just turns to dust. Mine just, like, turns to, like, a weird, like, sweaty mess. Oh, sexy. Just lick it up. Oh, God. (laughs) That got weird fast. Well, what would you expect from an episode of... An episode! (laughs) Difficult dazzles! I'm Rachel. I'm Kat. What what kind of podcast is this? It's a, Outside of licking sweat, it's a podcast about difficult and badass and sometimes problematic women from history. Often problematic, Often, yes, yeah. as we learned with dear last Freddy. episodes. Freaking Freddy, <laughs> wasn't that a great story? That was a good story. Aren't yeah. you ready to hear the other? I was side mad of that, that story. I rooted for her, but like, <laughs> I know. Like, that's the whole thing I was saying. I'm like, she's not a good person. She's a murderess. She is one of the worst people we have ever covered. But yeah. gosh, she's just so but fun. Go, Freddie! <laughs> I can say that because we're like, uh, I don't know, 17, 1800 years removed. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's crazy to think about that, like, that's how long ago. I know. That seems like a very long time ago, and yet not that long ago. Like, it's crazy. It's like that whole weird fact that. What was the litter box? Yeah. <laughs> not that fact. <laughs> Uh, it was one of my one of those random history facts I learned that Cleopatra is um, was born closer to the era of the iPhone than she was the Great Pyramid. That's so crazy. Isn't that? Oh, that's crazy. Because I think at the time she existed, <laughs> they were anywhere from like five to eight thousand years old. Yeah, that's crazy. So like, oh yeah, I guess we would be closer to Cleopatra too than she was to the pyramids. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> I digress. Um, yeah. <laughs> Who are we covering today, Rachel? We have heard. I was like, "Oh, I have, <sighs> I have this description here." So, <laughs> oh, excuse her. <laughs> We've heard the story of the rivalry between Brunhild and Fredegan from Fredegan's perspective. I was gonna say, "Why'd your voice change?" Now it's time to hear it from Brunhild's perspective. Brunhild. I don't know if you say it like that, but I'm gonna say it like Brunhild. that. Brunhild. Um. So yeah, we are on episode sixty. Fuck yeah, we are. 
And it is Brunhild of Austrasia. Austrasia. So, uh, funny thing about Brunhild's name, if you look her up online, there's a couple of different spellings. Um, I'm going with Brunhild. <laughs> of course there's different there's different spellings for Freddy too yeah I, hers are even a little more not too much more but a little more drastic so oh, okay. I've seen a lot of sources call her Brunhilda yeah that's probably because you said you were vaguely familiar yeah. with her um, so the Brunhilda is referenced in um, I think it's I think it's Robert Wagner's opera um, where she looks like a Viking princess. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people think they know Brunhild. Well, there's also a Brunhild from Norse mm-hmm. Edas. She's she's often linked with that. Yeah. Um, and maybe there's reasons because, you know, as as we tell this story, you'll see she's a very... She probably got her inspiration from the other Brunhild. <laughs> no, she was before. Oh, really? Because those Edas were written... Well, I don't know. When were the Edas written? I don't know. <laughs> they were written after the Viking Age. Okay, yeah. yeah. So they would be written at Wait. least four to five hundred years. I don't know. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Some of them. Okay, so some of them were stories passed down yeah. um, from the Norse people, and then um, but a lot orally of, passed down. That or, sounds weird. Yes, <laughs> through oral tradition. Thank you. <laughs> if you want to get academic, um, and then the mm. other stories come to us from Christian monks, yeah. which would have absolutely been after Brunhild's yeah. era. Oh, okay. Well, that's so fine. <laughs> maybe. They got their stories from her. I don't know. But she's often um, kind of mistaken for a Viking princess. Because, again, uh, Wagner's opera, I think she's, like, the lead uh, character, singer person. Singer person? Performer? Performer. (laughs) Singer person. You'll see her with, with the, like, um, dual braids down the front. And then, like, the Viking helmet. helmet. But that's not Brunhilda's wool. Um, Come to learn. But, yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so yeah, Brunhilda, I've seen her name. So the way I have it spelled, you'll see it on the little episode <laughs> description, um, is B-R-U-N-H-I-L-D. I've also seen her written as like Brunhilde with like an E at the end. Mm, okay. So yeah, just different people. Different spellings. Exactly. <laughs> you I forgot you can't roll your eyes. <laughs> I can't. It's like oh, oh wow. <laughs> it's just an L. <laughs> um, are you it's ready? It's just a weirdly sexual L. It's fine. <laughs> it's not even that sexual. It's like a, a PGL. <laughs> it's like they may talk about kissing, and it's like a Disney movie. Yeah, a little peck on the chin. <laughs> exactly. Um, but like through some linen. Yeah. <laughs> Through some linen. Are you ready for some very generic historical context? We are. Baron, you ready? Okay. No? Some of this we kind of know she's from like, when oh, I God. talked about Fred again. Hi, baby girl. She's so sweet right now. <laughs> so with the fall of the Western Roman Empire came a power vacuum for dominance in the world. The obvious successor was the Eastern Roman Empire created around Constantinople where the Byzantine Empire reigned. Pre-fall of the empire... A barbarian warlord out of the area of modern-day France gained acclaim for helping the Roman Empire fend off advances from Attila the Hun. His name was Merovich, and he would go on to found the Merovingian dynasty. That name sounds really familiar. (laughs) Yeah, it should. (laughs) We had had a Merovich in one of... Oh, we'll have him again in this episode. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, 
The world was also recently recovering from apocalyptic events. Oh, really? As well, yes. So, are you ready for this? Oh, gosh. No. You, you might have heard about this in your history class. I mean, we were taught cool things in history. <laughs> so, over in Iceland, a massive volcanic eruption covered the atmosphere in ash and plunged the world into darkness long enough to disrupt harvests in Europe. Whoa. This resulted in the coldest decade experienced in Europe in over 2,000 years. <laughs> this plunged the world into a mini ice age. Yes. That lasted for hundreds of years. Hell yeah. <laughs> Drought and failed harvests led to widespread famine. And not long after that, the world was hit by... You've, you've heard this in history class. Sure. What major event wiped out, like... A plague of some sort. Yes. <laughs> So this was, was no. the, yeah, the bubonic oh, really? plague. Hell yeah. Yep. Um, so <laughs> an estimated anywhere from 15 to 100 million people died by Jeez. the end of its various resurgences. Lord. It's the thing people don't realize about plagues is it's, it doesn't just happen in one shot. Yeah. It's going to come back um, anywhere from 10 to 20 years. Damn. Yeah. So at the height it killed, um, it was estimated to have killed 5,000 people a day in the city of Constantinople alone. Whoa. That's so, crazy. So, yeah, literally apocalyptic That would events. feel very apocalyptic <laughs> for sure. And here's where it gets fun, because Christianity is Don't now in the mix. Don't say here's where it gets fun. That never, nothing fun ever follows when you say that. <laughs> um, so Christianity is very much in its infancy at this point. Though a couple of hundred years old, the first Bible had only recently been stitched together. And by this particular point in history, 60 books had already been completely tossed out of it. And Christianity is undergoing its first crisis during this period. First of many. <laughs> this is a lot of... Uh, well, you'll see. Okay, so. <laughs> Christians of the day had fallen into two camps that fought vigorously over dogma related to the Holy Trinity. One faction was the Niceni faction, which believed the Trinity consists of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, um, that are all one and the same. Therefore, Jesus, the Son, is godly himself. The Niceni faction will eventually evolve into Catholicism. On the other side was a faction that believed Jesus to be separate from the Father and Holy Ghost, and essentially only ever human. What? I mean, yeah. Who was he? Fuck Jesus. <laughs> well, but not according to I know. It. So, so what you have in this period, um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like, oh, the Council of Nicaea. Yeah. The dogma where Christianity believes Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Jesus is a God figure um, was determined in this era. Oh, good. Okay. They actually had um, councils over it, and the non-Niceni people were considered heretics. Oh, my gosh. And they rolled my eyes. They, they rolled, or they rolled. They rolled with it. <laughs> they, they fought and they murdered the heretics. Cool. So Christianity's been doing great the whole time. This whole time. This whole yeah. time. I thought that from was, the start. I thought that was very interesting, and it's a all of this is a good setup for this period. Yeah. Now you kind of understand why Fred again like truly believed there were dark forces and witches yeah. that had put a curse on her yeah. family. Like yeah, this is the shit that they people they were born living into. and dying for this exactly. Shit. Oh, so. Literally, Jesus. <laughs> Damn it, Jesus. We're going to have more of uh, the church in Brunhild's episodes because she... Joy. Um, so, 
We talked a little bit about Fredigan's strengths. She was very ambitious, very cunning, very intelligent, very ruthless. Yeah, she went from a slave to a queen. Yes. You need to be all those things. She, she did, if you got in her way, like, you were woe dead. be to you, because <laughs> yeah. she just kept going. Um, Brunhild's strengths, as we'll find out, she's very much a diplomat. She's somebody who knew how to make friends with well, Yeah, because she was raised to be yes. royalty. As we'll find out. Yeah. But yeah. So, Sorry. No, no, <laughs> you no. already gave that away last No, episode, you're good. So. I'm, I'm glad you have that context yeah. so you can jump in and be like, yeah, I remember that. Um, but yeah, that, that's your generic context. Right. For, uh, I mean, it's not that generic. It's pretty It's pretty uh, interesting that we're Relevant, right? yeah. Yeah, or like you have a mini ice age. You've got plague. You've got famine. You've got people dying left and right. There's also dysentery. Yes. Yeah. Don't drink the water. And then you've got two women who emerge out of this to become like two of the most powerful women in Europe to ever exist. Crazy. That's crazy. Let's do this. Let's do it, Baron. Okay. So, Brunhild was born sometime. Why are you pausing? Do you remember how, like, Fred again? We were oh, like, we don't know. yeah. We have actual... <laughs> we have a year. <laughs> we have a guesstimated year? <laughs> we have a year. We've got the year 547. Okay. So, Still 547. <laughs> um, naturally, we know very little about her childhood, other than the fact that she was the younger of two daughters, born to King Athanagild and Goiswintha of the Visigoth. Did you just say Athanagild? Mm-hmm. Athanagild. Athanagild and Goiswintha of the Visigoth kingdom, which existed in modern day Spain. The mother's name was Guayacintha and the sister's name was Galcintha? Yes. For fuck's sake. (laughs) Yes. Oh, you know that you remember the sister's name. I remember the sister's name. I like the name. (laughs) Um, So the thing you kind of, I would say, the thing you need to know about Brunhild and her background, um, in Europe, you've basically got three families... Um, who are the most powerful families in Europe? Yeah, uh, you got the Byzantine Empire. I think right now it might be um, Empress Irene. Okay, who we may be covering. Yes, I can't remember if she's the one I started before I found out about these two, and I was like, "Sorry, lady. <laughs> Sorry, lady. You're on the sideline for now. I need more murder. You just like <laughs> to take people's eyes. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a thing. We'll get into <laughs> that's it. That's a thing. <laughs> that's what they were known for. They just like to like. Make I just want your eyeballs. Just give me your eyes. <laughs> oh, <that's> okay. <laughs> but then you had the Merovich family in the area of Francia, Germany, Switzerland. And then you've got um, the Visigoth kingdom in Hispania. And these are basically the three big where we are. power players. Hispania. Yes, Hispania. Hispania. Visigoth Spain. You'll yes. see both of those terms. Brunhild's parents never had any sons. So Brunhild and her older sister, Galswintha, were both educated um, as young boys would have been at the time, and they're viewed as the heirs of a sort. Heck they yeah. can't inherit, but it's very much understood that whoever they marry um, will be key to continuing the line. Yeah. Fair. I know. I know. She knows what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so Brunhild would have studied grammar, rhetoric, and poetry, um, and she was also very fluent in Latin. Brunhild would have likely been better educated than most of the people in the country she was also marrying into. Oh, no. She's just, she's just very smart, very yeah. intelligent. Um, they're also very uh, Niceni Christian. Um, so her family was very big on spreading, helping to, I'm like, gesticulating. She's very much gesticulating, uh, and it's aggressive. Spreading the tendrils. She's spreading her oh, wings. Oh, my God. What crack? <laughs> 
Did I crack? You cracked. <laughs> I wonder if I'll be able to hear that on the podcast. <laughs> it happens and I'm like, huh, I didn't hear it. I'm just used to it. Oh, man. Can you imagine marrying someone who is not at least at your level intellectually? Like, I would die. Like, I would die. Oh, yeah. I would Plus, we get know women, so mad all the women time. Women tend to be more cerebral yeah. creatures, whereas men are more visual. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Fortunately for her, uh, so we'll find out about her husband, <laughs> the royal family is educated. It's just kind of the rest of the people yeah. in court. Yeah. And this is, yeah, you'll see. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> it does, we'll it see. becomes a thing where she's like very lonely because she just Aww. doesn't have as many people to like talk with on a. That are at her level. Yeah. Yeah. So it was understood that Brunhild's older sister would likely inherit the Visigoth kingdom and marry a powerful noble man in the area to cement power. So this means Brunhild is their the spare. Um, she's the spare. She's also the like cash cow. So okay. like yeah. we marry her out to somebody who is gonna bring us enough money and goods and all that stuff. And and not just that, but like it's important. It's she's got to marry outside to like create this alliance with another kingdom to yeah. help strengthen our claim as yeah. well in our area. So yeah. Do you remember who she marries? No. Wait. <laughs> it's a weird name. I don't remember, but she marries into the the family. Yes. The brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so Brunhild was thus bartered out amongst the neighboring kingdoms to secure a strong external match. I know. It sucks for women to be bartered. Yeah, Baron. We were upset too. <laughs> um, and her parents settled on King Sigebert. Sigebert. The first of Austrasia. Yeah. The, the first of her husbands. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Sigebert was one of the four sons born to King Clothar of Francia and a grandson of King Clovis, um, who was the first king of the Franks. Essentially, this is your first dynasty um, in the area of France. King Clovis, also, if you're familiar with King Alfred um, from England, in in uniting England, King Clovis was that for the area of Francia. Hell yeah. So Sigebert ruled the kingdom of Austrasia, which ran the length of the Rhine River in modern-day France. It consists of present-day northeastern France and portions of western and central Germany. We do have maps. We I, have always for- maps. I think I've been forgetting to like send them to you. You but- have been. It's fine. <laughs> but I've been <laughs> forgetting have- to ask. <laughs> we have maps on here. I should. We should just post that like in between. Yeah. Um, you are hearing how we discuss things like yeah. as it happens. <laughs> We have, like, the best intentions, and then life happens in the middle of the week when we publish, and yeah. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) and then, you know. (laughs) Sigebert was the third son born to King Clothar of Francia. Clothar made the super smart decision of dividing his kingdom between his four sons following his death, which led to lots of infighting with each brother striving to prove that he was the bestest king. Like, why would you not see that happening? (laughs) I mean, I guess it's like... They literally did this all the time. I know. And it changes in Brunhild's era. Oh. Oh, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, Got a lot of those so far. (laughs) Yes. As the third-born son, it might suggest that Sigebert ranked third amongst the brothers, (laughs) given how we understand hereditary monarchy today. But at the time, this wasn't necessarily the case. Sigebert was very ambitious, and by claiming a Visigoth bride for his wife, he was making a statement by forging a strong alliance with an external kingdom, he was presenting himself as a leader to be taken seriously. Oh yeah. On top of that, 
Sigebert had informed the realm that his wedding to Brunhild would be an event to rival Caesar's marriage. Oh, calm down. <laughs> By recalling Rome and using Caesar's name for comparison, he was claiming supremacy amongst his brothers. Do you remember the four brothers? Yes. No. The one starts with a G. There's Sigebert. One sounds very familiar to Sigebert, I feel like. <laughs> your map, so your character map's over there somewhere. You, you should probably get that at some point, because it will be relevant for this episode. So, our four brothers. I love how you expect me to remember the names I made fun of. <laughs> no, it's okay. I was just, you, you had, you were like, one's with a C, or G. I'm surprised you weren't like the other three or a C, because everybody has C names. Yeah, I but... mean, they're very close. <laughs> so, Loki agrees. <laughs> So the eldest was Sherebert. He was the king of Aquitaine. Yeah, he was like not a thing. Yeah, not a thing at all. Didn't even write him on the character yeah. sheet. <laughs> um, the second oldest was Guntram, the king of Burgundy. The third was Sigebert, the king of Austrasia. And the fourth was Schildebert, the king of Neustria. Yeah, who married Freddy. Fredigan. Yes, our Freddy. Our dear, our our girl dear Freddy. Freddy. Now, when Brunhild arrived in the kingdom of Austrasia for her marriage, she came in style. Um, She basically has this huge entourage of companions, and she also has um, several carts full of goods. This included everything from furs to gold ingots, silver ingots, coins, jeweled goblets. Was it her dowry, or she was just like, look, I'm rich? Um, it was, look, I'm rich. Oh, okay. This is, this is basically saying by marrying, um, a daughter of the Visigoth kingdom, <laughs> you are marrying well. Okay. okay. Yeah. Just like, look at me go. She very much arrives in style. All right. It's kind of like Catherine the Great, right? Didn't she do the same thing where she arrived like, I don't know. All like bejeweled and crazy and. I don't know. We haven't covered her. Not Catherine the Great. Catherine de Medici. Yeah. Oh yeah. She came because she was the Pope's niece. Yeah. So they came on boats. Yeah. They came on, they had a whole like fleet (laughs) to deliver her to France. And then um, in France, everybody was so excited for her that like there's literal parties in the street and gongs and trumpets. Yeah. So this is one of those. We're, we're, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, We're told that Brunhild was very beautiful. Chroniclers of the period took the time to mention that she was pretty to look at and had a very nice figure. Um, she was. Thanks for that weird compliment slash backhand. I'm not sure how to take that. <laughs> she is approximately 18 years old at this oh, point. Funny enough. Marrying at 18? No. Poor bastard. You had to marry me at 18. Twice like, that age now. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine getting married now. <laughs> um. So, funny enough, we have no idea what she looked like. There are no contemporary images of her that survive, uh, namely because the kings, bishops, and scribes that succeeded her adopted the Roman custom of demnatio memorae, which is the condemnation of memory. Whoa. Remember we talked about that in Agrippina's episode? I feel like I remember it vaguely. You should remind me. (laughs) So, the worst worst thing that could happen to a, a person in the Roman Empire was to have their memory wiped from the planet. Wow. So if you were condemned as a traitor, um, this meant your yeah, your statues were torn down. Jeez. Any images of you had your face completely scratched out and your name was removed. Rome was fucked up. Like uh, Rome yeah. was just trauma. <laughs> so as Francia is becoming a kingdom, like right now it they call themselves the king of the Franks because there's no like everybody's disputing who yeah. has what land but 
they're basically, this is maybe a hundred years after the fall of the Roman empire. There are people, maybe not even a hundred years. Cause there are people alive who remember the end of the Roman empire wow. at this point. Yes. It's crazy. So, um, a lot of people are like trying to be like, we are the new Roman empire. Yeah. So they are adopting a lot of their customs. Oh gosh. It didn't work for them. It didn't work for them. Um, <laughs> That should give you a hint of how the story is going to end. Yeah, not great, guys. Not great. I already know how it ends because of pictures from last time. But <laughs> that traumatized you. Yeah, I'm like, oh, cool. I'm never going to sleep again. Well, I hope we forget about that by the time we get to that because we've got a lot to cover. Oh, but God. yeah. <laughs> so when Brunhild arrived in the capital city of Metz, we're told that she wore the finest silks. And she had her hair loose about her shoulders and she was wreathed in flowers. Ooh, fun. Yeah. Very pretty. Although no contemporary images survive, written accounts of the wedding wrote that Brunhild had a pale complexion and lips the color of roses. So even though she's from the area of Hispania, the thing to remember about the Visigoths is, um, I believe it was like a collection of like Scandinavian and Germanic tribes that completely swept through Europe. So yeah. these aren't, you don't have a mix of the Moors yet. These are very, very pale complexion people who are living in Hispania right okay. now. We're told that Sigebert was overjoyed by his new bride the moment he saw her. She was evidently the very picture of a beautiful maiden. And the poet, Fortunatus, wrote a poem about the union, claiming that Sigebert, in love, is consumed by his passion for Brunhild. Jesus. <laughs> so aggressive sometimes. He was in love with her. That's I love that's it. your takeaway. I like it. Um, he's also like 32 at this point. Just okay. so you know. <laughs> he's in love with this child. He's in love with an 18-year-old, guys. Sigbert himself was also said to be a medieval heartthrob. He was a renowned warrior known for being fit and possessing the Frankish blonde curls that would have fell just above his shoulders. Oh, God. <laughs> Remember the Merovingians have their long hair yeah. to symbolize their royalty? Ugh. And when you shore it off, that You're means... fucking them over. <laughs> yeah. means you have been removed from the line of succession. You have been shunned. <laughs> um, also, interesting little tidbit. The name Sigebert translates to a magnificent victory. All right. Interesting to set your child up for that, but okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> the wedding of Sigebert and Brunhild sent a ripple across the other thing kingdoms. Thing? Thing. <laughs> Three kingdoms of Francia. <laughs> Over in the kingdom of Neustria was Sigebert's youngest brother, Schilprick. Remember Schilprick? Yeah, yeah, I do. We're <laughs> making fun of that name hard. <laughs> well, I'm going to remind the audience. So, Schilprick was about as ambitious as his brother Sigebert. Their kingdoms had the unfortunate fate of bordering one another, and there was constant fighting along that border. We're told that the youngest of Clothar's four sons was especially zealous and would constantly test his brother's resolve by instigating border skirmishes to try and push his own territory. His brother's like, what the fuck, dude? Schulperic was very unhappy, or threatened, by the news of his brother's wedding to Brunhild. That displeasure was said to ripple along his own kingdom and shared by his nobles. Uh, the thing you kind of need to know about this era is of the three brothers, Sigebert's the only one who really cares about marrying a woman of noble birth. Yeah. The others were fine slumming it up like, with we already have our, yeah. and slaves. We already have our, our kingdom, so. But doesn't this push Shilprick into yes. marrying Galswintha? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. So... 
another young woman was also paying very close attention to this union. Uh-huh. She was Shulprix's mistress. Shulprix's. Shulprix's. <laughs> um, a slave girl that served his current queen, Audivera. Her name... You know, yes. <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> so this is Fredigan. Fredigan's already like, she's she's just at this point the mistress, and she's still considered a slave, but she's yeah. paying attention to what's going on Hell politically. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say her name because I was like, I don't want to say Freddy <laughs> right now. It seems inappropriate. <laughs> the thing to keep in mind is this: Brunhild was a princess from the start. Fredigan was a slave girl who would eventually become a queen and Brunhild's sister-in-law. When Brunhild first came to court, she brought with her several companions. One of those companions was the famous poet Fortunatus. Fortunatus is one of our contemporary sources for this period. Have you said his name before? I have. I mostly just mentioned he's a poet. Okay. But just know he came with her. Okay. So he's her boy. Oh, it's... There's another. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are, yeah, are, yeah. You, are you ready for it? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. Set and, ah. Do you remember his name? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was through Fortunatus's intervention that Gregory of Tours, a bishop and historian of this period, also came into Brunhild's acquaintance. All right. And if you uh, if you've listened to our Fredigan episodes, you know that Gregory of Tours gets murdered on East Air. No, right? that was no, Protexodus. Shit. Gregory of Tor is the person we get this story from. And oh, okay. because he's Brunhild's boy. We get Brunhild's side. We get Brunhild's yeah. side. And Fredigan is just this. The villain. <laughs> this just outrageous villainous monster. Yeah. Again, history is written by the victors. Yeah. Although, I mean, Fredigan didn't lose. <laughs> yeah, no, she definitely didn't lose. But Fredigan got like the best happy ending death of right? everybody. She was just like. <laughs> I'm done. She's like, I'm done. I'm I've, retiring. I've, to I've done what I can. Like, I'm going to go to sleep and yeah, peace. <laughs> Nobody, you were like, that's it? And I was like, yeah. Like, yeah, I know. You just were like, and then Freddie died. I'm like, what? <laughs> she murdered all these people and then she just gets she's like, this peaceful death. <laughs> Asa la pasta, folks. Asa la pasta. Asa la pasta. <sighs> but yeah, so just remember, like, we're going to hear more of Gregory of Tor. He is Brunhild's boy and that's why, like, it, all we know about Fredigan comes from him, so who's to say how accurate it is? Right? Yeah. <laughs> the first year and a half of Brunhild's reign was marked by a series of both fortune and tragedy. Within the first year, she managed to prove herself to be fertile and delivered her husband a child, but it was only a girl. Oh, no. <laughs> so, of course, you know, that means she's not done. She's still got her, her duty Ugh. to do. But... Ugh. Um. The haste, haste, hasteness, the hasteness with which she provided this child. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the hastity. I don't know. The hastity. <laughs> the, uh, the hasteness. Is that a word? I don't think so, but it is now. <laughs> the haste with which. Yeah. Why did I choose that word? I don't know. Why it was kind of cute, though. Words? I was letting it go. <laughs> I was like, this is cute. <laughs> the, um, the quickness with which she produced a child within the first year don't of marriage. The word. I'm, I'm overthinking <laughs> it now. Anyway, she she popped out a baby from the oven like r- quick. within the first year. So they were like, good, you've, you've got those you chips. You did it. Those chips. Those, those childbearing hips. Yes. Also known as chips. <laughs> <laughs> you got those chips, girl. <laughs> like, this was a good marriage union. <laughs> you got Find you chips. a girl with like big ass chips. Big ass chips. <laughs> Becky, look at, at her, her chips. chips. 
Her chips are so big. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. <laughs> and we're back. I sincerely apologize. Well, I don't. It was great. Um, <laughs> um, but with new life. <laughs> wow, it's a transition. That's a great transition. <laughs> with new life from those chips. <laughs> came death. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Not long after the birth of her daughter, Ingund, Brunhild received word that her father, King Athanagild of Hispania, had died. Oops. And then a few months after that, she learned that her sister, Galswintha, had been murdered. Had been murdered. Possibly. Potentially. Oh no, for sure murdered. No, she could have done that herself. <laughs> <laughs> she could have strangled herself in it's her sleep. Fine. The accidents <laughs> happen. <laughs> Um, yeah, so time to rewind our story a little bit. Rewind time machine. Go in the rewind time machine. <laughs> to measure up to the very powerful alliance that had been created between Sigebert and Brunhild, Sigebert's younger ambitious brother, King Schilprick of Neustria, decided to upstage his brother by marrying Brunhild's older sister, Galswintha. I thought he married in the same family. I know. <laughs> You're like, dude, that kind of like defeats the purpose like that splits the power essentially he was like she's older and she's gonna inherit that kingdom so they want her <laughs> there had been a couple of stipulations for this match to secure galswintha's hand king Schulperic promised a swath of land to her in lower frankia which was basically aquitaine so if you'll remember um their oldest brother king sherebert he dies mm -hmm. He has no children, so his land is split up amongst his brothers. Yeah. So suddenly King Shilprick has more land, and it's basically bordering um, Francia and Visigoth Spain. Mm -hmm. And he promised that if he died before the two produced children, those lands would become hers. The other stipulation for this match was that Shilprick was to adopt the Visigoth custom of forswearing all mistresses and concubines and bed only his wife. I love how that's a custom. That should be like common practice. Like, come on. This was specifically a Christian custom mm -hmm. because pagans weren't as concerned about monogamy. Yeah. So, yeah. Gotta do it different. <laughs> yeah. Shilprick agreed to these stipulations to secure Gauswintha's hand. But within a few short weeks, the relationship between the two fell apart. After apparently finding Fredegin in Schilperic's bed, Galswintha decided to abandon her marriage and travel back home to Hispania. And she was found strangled in her bed a few days later. It is not connected in any way. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. It is. It definitely go, is. Go listen to Fredegin. But really. <laughs> so basically, Brunhild... At this point, she's a young mother, her child is an infant, and she's completely plagued with grief. Her husband was constantly away on campaign, fighting wars started by the asshole that killed her sister. Yeah, that's problematic. And her father was dead, and now her sister was gone as well. That sucks. We're told that Brunhild was already feeling homesick and isolated in her new kingdom, so we can only imagine the grief she would have felt in losing all of her family within a short period. Brunhild's favorite poet, Fortunatus, famously wrote, Toledo has sent you two towers, Gaul. The second lies broken, but the first still stands. Yeah. <laughs> grief hits everyone differently. Some women in Brunhild's position might have caved, letting the grief destroy them and further isolated themselves. But Brunhild was of an entirely different constitution. She let the grief fill her and fuel her. From that day forth, Brunhild was determined to see two wrongs made right. The first was to claim her sister's Weregild, 
Um, so a wear guild is the opposite of a dowry, which are the lands and fortune a bride brings with her to a marriage. A wear guild is the lands of fortune promised to the bride's family if she dies while under her husband's protection. Ooh. I love that, that word. I love it too. So yes. Cool. <laughs> um, so those lands that Shilperk had inherited from his brother in Aquitaine, that border um, Visigoth Spain, mm-hmm. that is her wear guild. Yeah. And Brunhild from this day forth is determined to get That's those lands. That's and I will have it. <laughs> yes. The second thing Brunhild was determined to do was see her sister's murderers brought to justice. Three days after Galswintha was found dead in her bed, Fredigan and Shulprick were married. Convenient timing. <laughs> as Fredigan ascended as the new queen of Neustria, she forever earned herself the animosity of Brunhild. Galswintha's death would be the catalyst of a 40-year-long rivalry that would tear Frankia apart. Buckle up, buttercups. Boom! Do- Let's go! <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this! It's all like Donkey Kong. So... What? <laughs> oh my Donkey Kong. So I know I've I've mentioned this in the past. Uh Fredigan, terrible human, super fun. Brunhild is the more noble of the two. I like to think of them again, um, adult Cersei if she faced off against adult Sansa Stark. Okay. Like just how Sansa lost all of her family. Yeah. Um, I'll be very curious by the end of the two episodes to see if you have a favorite of the two oh, okay. that you would have rooted for in the time. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I still go for Freddy. I Freddie. feel like it would go back and forth. <laughs> it, I think so too. Yeah. It's like a weird pendulum of I like you, I don't like you. <laughs> From here is where we start to see two different styles of queenship and power that Brunhild and Fredigan would employ. Whereas Fredigan earned herself a reputation for being a master manipulator and spy master, Brunhild's skill set was based more in diplomacy. Um, and if you look up Brunhild's story online, most people like to dwell on the idea that Brunhild's hatred for Fredigan drove her to whisper in her husband's ear and convince him to wage war against his younger brother in the name of revenge. They were waging war long before the women showed up in their life. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> As we know, Men a lot of... want to wage war. <laughs> like, they don't need, like, to be instigated. Yeah. Like, yeah. they don't... The women are probably like, maybe don't do that Like, maybe one. could you maybe calm just, down? Like, like, let... You've had one. have no money right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's no... Where are you going to fund yeah. this The war? women are more than likely the sense of reason. <laughs> um, but as we all know, the story is always a little more complicated than that. And Brunhild was not the only one calling for spilled blood. As it turns out, Brunhild was very observant when it came to her new court she learned of several different factions that existed with their own goals and ambitions for Austrasia. The faction she most gravitated towards was the anti-Neustria faction that hated Schilprick and desired to rid the kingdom, the kingdom of Neustria of their arrogant and ambitious king. And their whole goal is to take Neustria and absorb it into Austrasia. Interesting. You also have a pro-Neustria faction okay. that like really wants to... Um, foster um an alliance Relations. yeah and there's a third faction i don't remember what they do <laughs> they're just like we don't care we just <laughs> they, want our crops to grow <laughs> they probably just like it's probably more of a nationalistic like we don't care about neustria yeah. like we just want to focus on ourselves yeah, let's make but, ourselves better but like, they're boring let's and they're not no being fun. stagnant <laughs> um they're boring and they're no fun <laughs> But the faction, um, the anti-Neustria faction that Brunhild gravitated towards was headed by three men. 
One was named Count Gogo. No, he was <laughs> yes, not. He was. Gogo is dancing. <laughs> he was a diplomatic wordsmith that had managed to secure Brunhild's hand in the Visigoth court for Sigebert. Oh. So he's he's the one, he's the emissary that travels around. Think Lucian from okay. Akatar. Yes! <laughs> I love that you're referencing that now. <laughs> uh, I started reading it because it's one of Kat's favorite series. Hell yeah. Plus I wanted fairy smut, so yeah. you know. There you hasn't been that much. You won't get it. I know. Two. It's like making it's, me wait and I'm so yeah. mad. <laughs> anyway. I did warn you. <laughs> you did. <laughs> I just keep seeing all these TikToks and... Because the last <laughs> book is fairy porn. Like the last book is fucking fairy porn. Grab the headboard. Yeah. I was oh just like, God, oh my God. <laughs> Don't tell me twice. <laughs> I, I saw that TikTok and I was like, Kat, it's time. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, okay, here's the first book. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's basically just like a setup book. Hey, <laughs> back to our story. Sorry. No, it's all good. I started that tangent. <laughs> um, the second member of um this alliance was Dynamius. Whoa, so you went from Gogo to that one. Yes. <laughs> Dynamius. He was a remnant of the old Roman aristoc oh my god. <laughs> Aristocracy. No aristocracy. aristocracy. <laughs> Why does this word? Oh my god. Aristocracy. I will. I sure. always struggle with that word. That's like me and deity. I said it right. No. Damn it! No, deity. You, you did. Her. <laughs> anyway, member of the old Roman aristocracy um, before the time it fell. He was a very prolific writer that used the power of his pen to persuade hearts and minds, and he falls squarely in the camp of Fortunatus, who apparently had a crush on him. Ooh, yay! I want that story. <laughs> I, I really picture Fortunatus as like Dandelion. Okay. okay. Yeah. I like it. Uh, from The Witcher. Yeah. AKA Asker. Yes. I was like, <laughs> I, I know him from the games of the yeah. West, but Yeah. The third head to this snake trio was a man named Wolf, who also came from the old Roman aristocratic family that earned his fame on the battlefield and earned a dukedom for it. What are these names? Like, Gogo, <laughs> Wolf, and Diamata Marahara. <laughs> so, Gogo, Emissary. Dynamius is the, like, political wordsmith. Uh-huh. And then Wolf is the general. Okay. These are all That's men. An interesting trio. Trio. Yeah. yeah. Brunhild was smart. She knew, like, which, like, how to, like, shore up her bench yeah. of support. Yeah. yeah. You can't have all warriors. You gotta have smuts in there, too. It didn't take much for Count Gogo, Dynamius, and Wolf to sympathize with Brunhild's cause. I promise I won't laugh every time you say his name. <laughs> the death of their queen's sister provided the perfect catalyst for their ambitions. They would invade Neustria to reclaim the bridal lands that had been promised to Galswintha and claim them for Brunhilda, her last surviving heir. It's always good when you have a valid reason to... Yeah do your stupid shit you would have done anyway exactly <laughs> they're like we were gonna do it anyway yeah, but now but we now have, look we look like we're great now we have legal precedents yeah. right? yay we don't look like <laughs> terrible assholes just assholes Burnhild and the anti-neustrian party convinced king sigebert that they needed to hold his half-brother accountable for his actions against the murdered princess together with his older brother king guntram sigebert summoned his brother shilprick to stand on trial before a jury to answer for his crimes against Princess Galswintha. Shilpurg's like, nah. Yeah, Shilpurg does not show up. I ain't doing that. <laughs> That's a dumb idea. His failure to appear for the trial was the impetus needed to invade the lands of Neustria in southern Francia and claim Galswintha's bridal gift for Brunhild and the kingdom of Austrasia. 
The bridal gift was an Aquitaine. So there's lots of plump grapes and prized fertile lands in this area. Very wealthy. Heck yeah. Very fertile. Uh, say <laughs> one more time for the fans. Fertile. <laughs> it didn't take much to convince the people of Austrasia of the righteousness of this invasion. Not only would they be defending the memory of their queen's beloved sister, but they were also defending the lands of Francia itself. Her murder could easily be seen as a cause to provoke war with Hispania, and these bridal lands were right on the edge of Francia and Hispania. If Sigebert did not act to defend her honor, Hispania might come in and do it themselves, and then take the land back with them. Yep. <laughs> with two brothers and two kingdoms attacking Neustria, the fighting goes exactly the way you'd expect it. Schilperk lost territory quickly and was forced into retreat after retreat. Schilperk, being the kind of weasel that he was, resorted to burning and pillaging his own towns Ugh. in that scorched earth um, If I can't tactic. have them, no one can. Exactly. Ugh. Yeah. Killed his own people That's just gross. to keep the spoils of war from getting to his brothers. There was one point where it seemed that Guntram grew hesitant and wanted to withdraw from the fighting. It's been suggested that he was concerned that once his younger brother Sigebert took their brother's territory in Neustria... He turned his eye to him. Exactly. So that's when Guntram essentially pulls back. He's like, like, you know what? I came, I saw, and I, I left. Didn't really think I would conquer much, so I left. <laughs> Sigebert responded by enlisting Germanic pagan mercenaries and posting them along Guntram's borders to entice him to return to the fold and finish off rooting their brother out. Wow. Guntram's like, no. <laughs> Not happening. When all was said and done, the campaign was a success. And when Sigebert's forces made their way toward the city of Paris, he called for Brunhild and their children to join up with him so that they could enter Paris as a family. I mean, Tr maybe don't do that. No, it's fine. I mean... Nobody's there at that point. Uh, <laughs> it's fine for now. Just because you know what happens. I'm just... I feel like you should make sure you for sure root out all the danger before you're like, family, come. <laughs> what are you talking What danger? Ugh. What could possibly You just happen? took the city! <laughs> Um, there was a, there was a, God, what's the term? There was a theatrical and political reason for doing this. Yeah. Um, to rule in Paris was a huge symbolic triumph. King Clovis and King Clothar previously ruled all of Francia from Paris. So to claim it for themselves would be the equivalent of recognizing Sigebert and Brunhild as the rightful rulers to all of Francia. Brunhild had earned some small accolades of her own. The first was giving birth to a son and an heir for Sigebert, named Schildebert. 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 <laughs> Looks like Childebert, if you're looking at it written. <laughs> Sounds like Sherbert. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm going to call him uh, Sherbert, Sherbert from now on. <laughs> the second accolade came upon their approach to Paris. Before arriving in Paris, they received a letter from Bishop Germanus, um, the local bishop of Paris. The bishop wrote of the damage Paris had suffered during the Civil War and his desire to circumvent any similar tragedies in this war. He promised to deliver Paris peacefully if Sigebert promised the city would be taken bloodlessly. But when he wrote the letter, he wrote specifically to Brunhild, addressing her as the most excellent queen. Ooh. The idea that a man of the church would have written to anyone other than a count, a duke, or a king was completely unheard of at this time. All right. They don't acknowledge women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But that's how powerful Brunhild's reputation was becoming. All right. The fact that he wrote to Brunhild directly and acknowledged her with such a title spoke to the reputation and favor she had earned within the church and the people of Francia itself. Sigebert and Brunhild agreed to the terms and officially rode triumphantly into the city of Paris, taking it bloodlessly and taking up residency in their new castle. New castle. Da na na! Castle! Castle, yeah! <laughs> Following the triumph in Paris, victory for Sigebert seemed all but in the bag. The chroniclers of the time liked to speak to the piety of Brunhild. They wrote that she pleaded with her husband to restore peace between their kingdoms and to spare Shilprick. Kinslaying is bad, y'all. <laughs> yeah, it's not great, guys. So again, she's presented at this point as like, trying to be merciful mm -hmm. like a good queen would have mm -hmm. at the time yeah soft power versus so anything power. that happens after this it's like it's on you sigebert because yeah. you didn't listen to burnhill yeah but sigebert was drunk on glory <sighs> by the time sigebert and burnhill made it to paris fredigan shilprick and their children had all fled to the city of Tournay and were in hiding sigebert left paris to finish the war the people of Neustria apparently saw the writing on the wall because several cities and monasteries that he passed defected to his side in hopes that he would spare them. Yeah, they don't care who rules them. Like, yeah, they're the like, please part. just don't kill us. Just don't burn us. Yeah, like, we don't care. Exactly. Yeah. There's a good line in um, A Song of Ice and Fire. I think Varys says it in the first season of Game of Thrones. Yeah. He said, um, why is it that Basically, the lowborn are the ones who suffer yeah. when you play your Game of Thrones. Yeah. When you lords <laughs> play your Game of Thrones. Yeah. And then Jorah also says something like, the small folk could care less about who's sitting on the Iron Throne so yeah. long as their fields are aplenty and their bellies are full. Yeah. Yeah. Several of Shulperic's chief advisors had also defected, hoping to gain favor now before they lost and were forced to bend the knee. People were heralding Sigebert as the king of both Austrasia and Neustria by the time he made it to the commune city of Vitry and Artois. Everyone had gathered to celebrate the conqueror and crown him in Neustria. He was at the top of the world. Victory was all but secured as they waited for news of the inevitable that Tournay had fallen. But tragedy struck in the form of two very unlikely sources. Two Neustrian slave boys managed to sneak into Sigebert's camp, claiming to have defected from Schilperk's side as so many others had done before them. And then they surprised the king with two hunting knives that had been coated with an unknown poison. Oops. The poison was so potent that the knives did not have to penetrate too deeply into the king to do the job. Literally just had to slice his yeah. skin. The king forgot who he was fighting. <laughs> He didn't know. Nobody knew what Fredigan was capable of. Yeah, but you got an idea when this whole thing started because Gelsmith oh, was strangled. True. So you yeah. you have an idea of how far <laughs> she's willing to go, but you don't you don't know how sneaky she is yet. And even though the two unnamed boys were slain by nearby guards, they managed to take Sigebert with them. He fell to the floor the moment they struck him and died within minutes. That's crazy. It was later revealed that Fredigan had instructed the boys on how to sneak into the camp and coat their blades with the poison. Although Fredigan could not be directly linked to the murder of Brunhild's sister Galswintha, there was no denying now that she had a direct hand in the assassination of Brunhild's She's husband. She's 1,000% <laughs> responsible for this. 
Brunhild had lost both a sister and now a husband to her rival, and with the death of the King of Austrasia came the turn in the battle. Victory quickly turned to despair, and it wasn't long before Schilperich's forces had regrouped in the confusion of Sigebert's death. And now they were coming for Paris, and they were coming for Brunhild. So if you've listened to the Fred again episode, um, just to get the other side of this story really quick, um, Fred again is pregnant. Yep. When this city is under siege, she's literally in her third trimester. She goes into labor as the siege is happening. That sucks. Um, after she gives birth to the child, she literally emerges with like afterbirth, supposedly in the stories, no. still coming from her. It has to be dramatic. <laughs> yes. Um, and she's she's sick of basically being in hiding because Shilpurik's not doing anything about it. And she um, calls these two slave boy, slave boys forth and she says, if you survive, I will give you land and wealth. If you don't, I will take care of your family. And she teaches them how to... Um, coat these hunting knives with poison and sends them off to kill the king of Austrasia. Love it. <laughs> but now, Brunhild, we get to see how that all panned out. Yeah. So when Sigurbert had left Paris, his victory was all but assured. We can assume that Brunhild had every reason to believe that when she next saw her husband, it would be at the head of a triumphant procession and possibly with his brother and sister-in-law in chains. We can only imagine the devastation Brunhild must have felt when a messenger arrived to tell her of her husband's death. Most women of the time would have fled. When Brunhild examined the situation and her readily available resources, she realized she was left with very few options. Brunhild surprised contemporaries of the time by staying behind in Paris to await the arrival of Schilprich. When he arrived, Schilprich would have been expecting to find Brunhild shielding her three young children. But when he arrives, he finds only Brunhild. Oof. She's she, like, yeah, I'm not risking my heirs. <laughs> yeah. She basically was like, whatever happens to me. And you have to understand that there's a very strong possibility. She understood she might be in the capture, raped, tortured, and murdered. Yeah. And she worked to make sure that her children weren't there for it. That's good. Brunhild stayed behind so that her children could be smuggled out and make hard for the border of Austrasia that was only 30 miles away from Paris. Brunhild's daughters were captured just over the border. <sighs> Schoeperich took the girls into his custody, promising not to hurt them so long as Brunhild didn't try to do anything crazy, like run away or escape. Yeah. So they're his hostages now. Her son, Schildebert, managed to evade capture. On Christmas Day of 575... It's always Christmas Day. <laughs> he was crowned as the new king of Austrasia. At, like, what, four? He's seven. Okay, almost Excuse a man me, he's grown. He's pretty much grown ass <laughs> up. <laughs> Brunhild herself was transported under an armed guard to a convent in the Neustrian city of Rouen. It was here that she would have been expected to fade into the obscurity of history trading her queenly crown for a white woolen robe of simplicity and spending the rest of her days in solemn prayer and contemplation. She's like, that's cute, guys. <laughs> and had it been any other woman besides Brunhild, this might have happened. Fortunately for us, though, Brunhild is the exception, and she would not content herself to be silently locked away and forgotten. You know, she's like, I, I ain't going to a convent. <laughs> she's like, I'll go to a convent, but I'm not done, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> 
What is the best course of action for a woman in this period to escape a convent and regain some kind of power? To Cat. get married to a powerful dude. Yes. Married. Married. <laughs> Brunhild pretty much knows. I'm either, if I stay here, I'm confined to a life of solitude. I'm going to become a nun. If I want to escape, I have to get married again. We're told that Brunhild knew her options were limited, and she knew that if she was going to escape convent and get back to her son and help him rule she would need a powerful man at her side there were a couple of options to choose from but brunhild ended up going with an unlikely candidate you remember this is is it the son mm-hmm. yeah yes not her son guys don't worry do you remember his name not even a little <laughs> it's a sh- no no it's Maravich. oh shit yeah you're right you're right you're right <laughs> time to rewind our story again. Rewind. Rewind time machine. <laughs> so while Sigurbert was on campaign against Schilperic, his armies came across Schilperic's oldest son, Thudebert, and killed him in battle. Thudebert's brother, Merovich, thus became Schilperic's new heir and took command of the armies from his slain brother. And he is... Conveniently... Unmarried. Yeah, conveniently. But yeah. he is this not Fredegan's son. He's Fredegan's stepson, and yeah. he is now the oldest son of Ottavera, who had also been confined to a convent. So, um, if you listen to our Fredegan episode, uh, Fredegan so ensnared Shilperic that uh, he was already married to a woman named Ottavera, and she convinces him to set Ottavera aside, and Ottavera is sent to a convent, convent. in the city of Rouen. Woo. And who's in Rouen right now? Marriage. Brunhild. Brunhild. One of them. <laughs> yes. Brunhild. I had two options. Yeah. I had a 50-50 shot. Um, so, yeah, it's it's likely that Brunhild was sent to the same convent that er- that Ottavera had been dumped in. Why would you do that? Like, why would you not be like, hmm, maybe. Maybe. She is under guard. So oh. the, the idea is that, you know, it's probably the largest convent. These women are still queens. They're yeah. fallen queens. So you do have to keep them um, in a certain state. Yeah. But the idea is Brunhild is under armed guard. We can keep them separated. Mm-hmm. Good theory. But historians generally believe that Brunhild and Ottavera likely had contact with one another. Um, it could have been in person or it could have just been they knew they were both in the same area. So they were passing notes. Oh. Like little, little notes in school. Pen pals. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to marry my son? Check yes or no. Yes or no. <laughs> Ottavera's like, what the shit is this? <laughs> Brunhild was already a skilled diplomat known for her ability to weave alliances. Both Ottavera and Brunhild had a shared enemy in Fredegan. By this point, Merovich would have likely grown weary of his stepmother's ambitions as well. Fredegan had a son of her own whose only hope for taking the throne of Neustria would be by displacing her older stepsons. He was probably also scared that assassins would find him in the middle of the camp and get yeah. all stabby-stabby with him, yeah. too. He's like, I don't know how this ends. Like, I don't know how I just saw that. Goes. With Sigurd. Yeah, I did not like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen this, this film before. I feel like we sang that. You sang <laughs> that in the last episode, too. Yes. <laughs> and I didn't like the didn't ending. Like ending. <laughs> that should be our theme song for this whole era. <laughs> Women in convents did not just live quiet lives of prayer and contemplation. Convents provided a unique opportunity for many women to still wield power without the influence of men, especially displaced queens who already had a skill for politics. 
We don't know how they managed it, but Brunhild and Adavera were said to have used their contacts with churchmen that visited the convent freely to get a message to Maravich and alert him to the plan. I just want to see this movie where, like, I know. all the queens in this convent, like, are like, let's, like, band together yeah. and, like, freaking and take marvel on the, this And up. take on the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, like, let's do it. <laughs> and then it turns into, like, a weird vampire movie. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, I would watch that. Somebody make that, please. Oh, my God. It's like a... The church is the vampire. The pride, the pride and Prejudice zombie movie. Yes. Like, I want that, but, like, yes. for the comment. I just want... <laughs> With vampires. People need to do this era. It's yeah. such a good era. <laughs> You've got so much material. We're told that Maravich was initially given orders by his father to march on the city of Poitiers to reclaim it for the kingdom of Austrasia. Mm-hmm. Um, so Maravich is like, cool, yeah, great orders. Wait, Austrasia or New... Neustria. To take it from Austrasia. Okay. Because right now, Schoperg, he doesn't know about this plan going on, so his son yeah. is his primary general. Yeah. He doesn't know that his son's about to turn cloak. Oops. Um. So Maravich sets out to do just this, but he takes an abrupt detour to Rouen at the last minute in direct defiance of his father's orders. He's just like, wait, what? Why are you going there? This Why is, are you going there? And he's this, like, no reason, Dad. I just want to. This is Game of Thrones shit. Yes. This is all the scheming on on the oh. sides, and then um, how it relates to the battles. And yeah, so he goes to Rouen. <laughs> Not long after, Brunhild and Merovich are married in a private ceremony in the convent. Oh, how interesting! How interesting that that would happen. <laughs> oh, how the tables turn. How the tables have the turntables. Turn. Turns have tables. Wait, what? <laughs> The wedding to Maravich did not come with the same grandeur that had been present in her wedding to Sigebert. <laughs> we are told she did unsheathe her hair from her nun's habit, though, and she let it fall about her shoulders. And once her again, her hair is like her superpower. <laughs> <laughs> she shows up. She's like a fairy she's like, with like flowers, just magically hair. like a. Yeah, garden she's got the crown again, growing in her hair. <laughs> yeah, no, they literally write this. She's got like a floral crown oh, again. She turned into a freaking forest nymph. What's happening? <laughs> When the two married, several old vendettas were settled. Adavera had her revenge against Fredegan for having been displaced as Schilperic's queen. Brunhild was now back in the game as well, and the wife of her rival stepson, strengthening his position against Fredegan. And Maravich was now in an open rebellion against his father. Oops. Um, by this point, Brunhild is in her mid-twenties, and Maravich is just a couple years younger. Okay. So she's now... The older woman. Yes. (laughs) Some sources claimed that Brunhild's grief and circumstance were taken advantage of by Maravich, but others like to credit Brunhild with a little more agency. She would gain a reputation for being a mastermind when it came to forging alliances for political ambition. Um, So, like, we generally agree, like, no, she knew what she was doing. She entered this arrangement, like... Fully aware, yeah. probably orchestrated it herself. Her, her new husband wasn't like, oh no, he was like, oh yeah, sure, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> this alliance put her in a position to potentially gain power over two kingdoms um, in Neustria as its queen consort and in Austrasia as its queen mother. Ooh. <laughs> as you can imagine, the marriage caused quite the scandal. Yeah. And Fredigan's like, I murdered him. So that not just that. <laughs> Maravich is technically her stepnephew. This oh, is yeah. Daenerys and John. Oh yeah, except without the blood relation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not that weird. <laughs> it's it's technically incestuous of the church. Though. Yeah, you don't do you're, this. You're married. Yeah, you're married. <laughs> you're married. 
Predictably, Schoperich was livid when he learned that his son married his dead brother slash rival's wife. He immediately took steps to change the law in Francia with an oddly specific provision that made it illegal to marry a dead uncle's wife. Huh, interesting how that's very specific. <laughs> very pointed at your son. Schoperich would spend the next several months working to delegitimize the marriage while Brunhild and Marovitch plotted a rebellion against him. It starts in the city of Rouen. Almost immediately after the two were married, Rouen magically disavows Schoprich as king and instead announces Marovitch as the new king. Interesting how that would work out so conveniently. <laughs> Interesting that a city could just be like, nah, like you're not. Nah, bruh. Like it's this guy. I mean, this guy is here and he has swords, so yeah, yeah it might yep. not be our choice. We but... vote for him because we have to. <laughs> It's been suggested that the locals and peasantry were completely over the civil war that had lasted up to six years at this point, and they saw a chance of stability with Marovitch and Brunhild at the head at the head of Neustria. Yeah, they're like, look, if we can buy the houses, they might not fight. Yeah, in theory. In theory, and then like our people won't die anymore. Although like... you kind of did that before, and it didn't end well. <laughs> <laughs> like the freaking Marovitch family, like, God, stop fighting each other. <laughs> We're the ones who suffer. <laughs> well, you do too, because of Fredigan. Obviously, but still. <laughs> Brunhild and Marovitch had to act quickly before Schoperich had a chance to react to the news of their marriage, and they came up with a quick plan to oust Schoperich from the throne. Oops. Half of Marovitch's army was to return to Schoperich with an assassin hiding in their ranks. <laughs> the other half was placed under the command of Brunhild's trusted General Wolf, and they set off to march on the city of Soissons, um, which was the capital city of Neustria, and it's also where Fredigan and her children were now safe. Okay, in theory. So their idea is assassinate the king and get Fredigan and her children in custody. Yeah. I just—I feel like I've said it before on this podcast, but, like, can you just imagine, like, living in a time where, like, assassins are a thing? Yeah. Like, how fucking paranoid would you, like... I would not trust anyone. So the, the funny thing is, they weren't a thing until Fredigan. Oh, This God. is a very But new. I'm just saying, like, it's starting to be, a, yeah. like, a thing. And, like, I just can't. I just, yeah. I imagine just being, like, <laughs> yeah, not drinking like, anything, just, not eating anything. Yeah, like, not trusting anyone. Don't want to be friends with you. Yeah. <laughs> Do not cut my meat without yeah. I have my own knife. Thank you. I, have, I brought my own knife. Like, <laughs> unfortunately, though, things don't go well. Oh, no. <laughs> The assassin evidently never made it to Schoprich. Um He just disappears. <laughs> nobody, just like, knows, nope. <laughs> nobody knows what happens to him. It's assumed that he was found in the camp and that yeah. Schoprich, this is how Schoprich learned of Marovitch's plans. Yeah. They found the, the assassin and tortured him. I just feel like, how do you Rip. give that away? Like, I, I don't know. We don't know because it was do never Do you talk? You're like, about. guess what? I'm going to assassinate this guy. It's going to be great. <laughs> the other people are like, so once Schoprich hears of the uprising in Rouen, he immediately sets off to upbraid his son. <laughs> He's like, bro. <laughs> Schoprich is also very vocal when he arrives about how disgusted with the incest that he Oh, gosh, he yes. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I can't believe Marovitch is like, you would do not this ungodly it's deed. It's technically not. That is your aunt. Technically, she is not. your aunt. Technically, no, under, in the eyes of by God, marriage. she like, is your aunt. But like by marriage. No, in the <laughs> eyes of God, she is your aunt and you are repulsive. The blood is And I am ashamed. All things. <laughs> Fair I know. Yeah. 
Not long after he arrives in Rouen, Chilperic receives word that General Wolf has also attacked his capital city of Soissons, and that Fred again and their children were on the run again. Oh, like he left his wife? Yeah. Well, oh, because well, technically they're safe. They're yeah, not. They're... You're never safe. Come on. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I took care of Sigurd. You're in the middle about. of a war. No one he, is ever safe. He doesn't know that. He doesn't uh, know his son has turned cloaked and that Brunhild His son married it. his aunt-in-law. Like, duh. This all happens within a matter of weeks, and it's not oh, like they gosh. have social media to announce what? the wedding. What? <laughs> they didn't get a phone call? So oh, No phone happened. call. <laughs> no, the raven didn't arrive with the letter in his... So raven got age. <laughs> he did. Rip. <laughs> I was going to say in his talons, right? Yeah. Close, close. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> is, as you can imagine, not happy yeah. with his son. A little annoyed. <laughs> Before he sets off to save his city, Shulperic has his guard take his son into custody. Um, he can't have Maravich hanging around Brunhild at this point and risking the two of them bumping uglies and making a baby. <laughs> You so keep your dick to yourself. <laughs> that dick stays in its pants. Stays in the pants. <laughs> so he separates them, and Brunhild is left in the convent. She's under guard now. <laughs> I mean, she was under guard before, but she's well, really like, under guard now. Yeah, Frick is like, you know what? She doesn't even get to pee by herself. He's like, like I already <laughs> have Fred again to deal with. I don't need another Please one. Stop. Please just stop. <laughs> the consequences for Marovich were more severe. First. Maravich was stripped of his military rank and his lands, both of which were given to his younger brother, Clovis. After that, Shoperic had Maravich tonsured. Tonsured? That is the official name of chopping off the hair. Oh, no! <laughs> so this was his the beautiful, luxurious beautiful locks. golden locks. So this was the practice of cutting off hair and shaving around the scalp as a sign of humility and devotion to the church. Within the Merovingian dynasty, this was tantamount to removing Merovich from the line of succession. The Merovingian kings were known for their long, flowing locks, and long hair was a sign of royalty. So not only is he removed from the line of succession, he's not even considered nobility. Oh, gosh. And he's given to the church. He's given to the, given to the church. Here's a gift for you. Here's this weird Take gift. this bull-haired son of mine. <laughs> Jesus. The church is like, we're good. From there, Maravich is sent to the monastery of Le Mans and forced to become a priest. Oh, no. Shilpert gave Brunhild a choice at this point. She could stay with her husband in Neustria but his new position within the church meant that they would never be able to consummate their marriage. Her second choice was to dissolve the marriage and return home to her children. Brunhild chose the second. Yeah, she's like, mm, I've She's like, I've already got days. kids. I get to yeah. go home. <laughs> <laughs> um, Schoepirk likely believed he was doing the gallant thing by letting his former sister-in-law slash daughter-in-law <laughs> go home. He probably thought she felt defeated at that point and would content herself with fading into obscurity as a queen mother that relegated herself to the background. You did try this once before. It did not work. It didn't work and it doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah, weird. He's probably going to live to regret this. He's definitely going to not live to regret this. Spoiler alert. They know. They've listened already. (laughs) (laughs) Once Brunhild made it back to Austrasia, she was re- reunited with her two daughters and her son. So at some point, I don't know what happened, but... The daughters let go. Yeah. Not let go? (laughs) Shilpirk sent them back. Yeah. Because 
despite the fact that like he constantly fought against his brothers, he had he has no animosity. Really. He had this like gallant streak to him too. Yeah. So at least where women were concerned. <laughs> well, thank God, at least someone had a gallant streak. He kind of reminded me of Stephen of Blois. Blah. Blah. Um, with how he just didn't regard us. So Stephen didn't regard Matilda as a yeah. threat. I get I get the same impression with Shilprick, which is he constantly lets yeah. these women go. You're just a nuisance. You're not going to cause a problem. But then, like, yeah. the, the, he what he doesn't realize them. is the nuisance keep, like, building up until yeah. it becomes a problem. Yeah. Like, and then it's by the time this, it's a problem, he's like, Shh. It's just this this gross underestimation of the women of the era. Yeah. Era. Well, he also probably thought, like, that, like, you said earlier that she was just a pawn in his son's game. Yes. Not and so realizing. she didn't. Like, he's like, yeah. oh, there's no way she would have thought of this. Yeah. Joke's on you, homie. Yeah. She thinks of it again. <laughs> um, though only separated for one year, we're told that separation left a lasting impression um, on her son as well. So, Schildebert, her son, who's also <laughs> the seven-year-old king. Seven-year-old king. <laughs> He would end up becoming very dependent on his mother, and he's reluctant to let her leave his side for extended periods of time after this. Oh, no. He's like, Mom, no. Well, yeah, it's a very I now have attachment issues. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, Mommy, I love you. Mom, don't abandon me. I have an edible complex now. Not really. Not this story, but he's just, he's very attached. Yeah. Brunhild would be a scary thing to be a yeah. seven-year-old. Like you're the king of a fucking kingdom now, and he's like, "Excuse me." Well, not only and that, then you have but... people like around you who don't care about you and just care about their wants and needs and shit. But not only that, um, he fled the city of Paris. Yeah. Like she, she sent him off, and he didn't She's know like, he was going to see her. Again. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's got trauma. Like, <laughs> Brunhild's ill-fated husband would continue to scheme even while cloistered behind the walls of a monastery, but his plans would continuously be foiled by his father's spies and Fredigans, uh-huh. and eventually he resolves to just have a servant kill him to put him out of his own misery. Oh no. Naturally, many contemporaries of the era of the era suspected that Fredigan arranged to have this happen. Yeah. Marovich was at the end of his rope by the time he was captured by his father's forces and imprisoned. And when his body was found, he'd been stabbed. But the supposedly self-inflicted wound had occurred while his hands were still tied behind his back. He is very flexible. Was very flexible. He he did it with his feet. (laughs) Yeah, he's like... (laughs) So although the official story is that Marovitch killed himself, um, it's very likely that... Everyone's like, Fred again has tried like three times. Like, I think we can safely say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she did. She actually tried. I love how you didn't even bought like... At least untie his right. hands. Like I, I think she did that on purpose. Yeah, she's like, she was say like, I did it. <laughs> she was like, you know, this was me, but we're gonna officially say he did it himself. Yeah. <laughs> so Marovich, he's he's gone. Peace, rest, peace. rest in peace. Rip. <laughs> At least it's not rest in pieces. This yeah, one. <laughs> this one. <laughs> With the death of Marovich went Brunhild's attempts to assert power in the kingdom of Neustria. In the early years of Schildebert II's reign, he's still a child, <laughs> a series of tragedies swept across Francia that resulted in several young princes of both the kingdoms of Burgundy and the kingdom of Neustria um, and reshaped the political landscape. So this is when that plague of dysentery mm-hmm. is sweeping across. And um, if you've listened to the Fredigan episodes, you know that in the span of nine years, Fredigan loses 
four of her sons to dysentery. Yeah. But something happens to Guntram's heirs. I don't know. I didn't, it's, he's not as important to our story. Um, All we need to know is he loses his heirs as well. So now he needs to designate a new heir. And Guntram immediately turned to Brunhild to repair relations between their kingdoms by naming her son, Schildebert, as the heir of Burgundy. Oh, shit. So he's now the heir of... No, he's the king of... He's the king of Austrasia, and he's the heir to Burgundy. <laughs> and then after a devastating epidemic of dysentery claimed the lives of Fredegan and Schilperic's sons, the nobility of Neustria put pressure on the king and queen to reach out to Brunhild and name Schilperic their heir as well. Oh, no. <laughs> They're like, excuse me? Brunhild has her own ambitions of power and attempted to do something that honestly, truly had never been done in the kingdom of Francia. She attempted to claim power for herself and attempted to seize the regency of her son several times. Oh. This had never been done before oh, in Europe. Oh, no. Her son's like, mom... <laughs> No, he's he's he he adores her. He's oh, like, you no. do what you He's need. like, you want this, he's you a, can have it. He's a child at this point. Yeah. So there is a regency in place, but yeah. right now it's um I believe it's the men who kind of want to forge an alliance with Neustria. Yeah. Because they're the ones reaching out saying, like, you can claim him as your heir. Yeah. Uh Brunhild's having Brunhild's like, that. I don't fucking think so. <laughs> so the regent for the young king had been Brunhild's ally and friend. Count Gogo, but after he died, it left the regency wide open for the taking. Two factions continued to hold sway at court. One was led by Brunhild and Duke Wolf, and the other by pro-Neustrian forces that wanted to see the kingdoms united. The leader of the pro-Neustrian faction was Bishop Egidius of Reims. Sure. (laughs) God bless you. So one of the stories that emerges of Brunhild asserting her power is by physically putting herself between Bishop Egidius's forces and Duke Wolf after Egidius attempted to take Wolf into custody by force. Oh, shit. <laughs> In this story, Brunhild does not appear as a queen wearing silks and skirts um, and armored in her femininity. She upended the entire system of gender politics by dressing as a king would. Yes. Fully armored and wielding a sword. So. <laughs> Can you um, just imagine the terror in the hearts of every man there? Yeah. Just like. Do you remember when Arwen in the first Lord of the Rings movie um, appears in the river with yeah. the wraiths approaching and yes. she lifts her sword? She's like, if That's you brilliant. want him, come and claim him. Yes. I love it. <laughs> so again, I cannot stress this enough. This is not something a woman did. Yeah. Ever. We are we are just shy of a thousand years before the likes of Joan of Arc appeared in men's armor to lead an army against invading English forces. When Brunhild put herself between both armed forces, both sides were shocked and They're just like, like we shook. <laughs> outraged and oh. appalled and also just like what is scared. happening? A little bit scared too. Yeah. <laughs> there was a little bit of peeing in the pants. <laughs> Brunhild fended off several shouts from soldiers who claimed she did not know her place. And some um, and some of the chroniclers of the time recorded this exchange. I love how she, they're like, you don't know your place. She's like, she, she's like, I know my place for sure. You don't know your place. <laughs> so we have Brunhild on record as saying, stop fighting each other and bringing disaster upon our country just because of this one man. And the soldiers um, of 
I believe it was Egidius, <laughs> they say to her, Stand back, woman. It should be enough that you held regal power when your husband was alive. Now your son is on the throne, and his kingdom is under our control, not yours. Kindly fuck off. <laughs> but Brunhild held her ground and refused to move. And in the story, these soldiers say to her, Leave us, or our horses' hooves will trample you to the earth. Okay, try it. <laughs> uh, but Brunhild refused to be cowed into submission, and she held her ground. And the soldiers, despite making all of these um, peacocking yeah. Prost- shows of pro- force and prostolations, whatever. No. Yeah. What are you trying? I to don't say? know. Um, <laughs> despite making these posturing, like yeah, despite posturing <laughs> like peacocks. Um, at the end of the day, they're like, even if she's in men's armor, she is a woman, and they refused. Oh my god. To harm her. Oh good. Okay. I so guess. she wins the day, and in the end, um. She becomes the queen regent. Hell yeah. yeah. So yeah, this is uh, our first instance of Brunhild appearing as a warrior queen. Yes. Showing she's got some metal yeah. behind her diplomacy. Yes. <laughs> she's like, I can be meek and quiet, but I can also be loud and tell you to fuck off. <laughs> Bishop Egidius would continue to be a thorn in Brunhild's side, barring her from power. But Brunhild proved to be a patient woman. She knew that she only needed to bide her time and wait for an opportune moment to wrest power away from Egidius, trusting his arrogance to lead him to a misstep that she could take advantage over. That moment finally arrived when Schulprich and Fredegin gave birth to a new son. The temporary alliance between Austrasia and Neustria relied largely on the idea that Brunhild's son would remain the heir of Neustria. Schulprich took advantage of that alliance by persuading the Austrasian nobility to march with him against his brother Guntram in Burgundy. As Austrasian forces made the long march south into Burgundian lands, doubt spread amongst the gathered troops as to why they were involving themselves in a war that did not benefit them. Yeah. Before they could join up with Neustrian forces, the Austrasian soldiers revolted against Bishop Egidius and chased him all the way to the cathedral in Reims. Oh where he claimed the right to sanctuary. Oh, no. <laughs> His fall from grace came in a spectacularly dramatic fashion. Um, so no one is sure who whispered poison into the soldiers' ears to help sow their doubt, but Queen Brunhild emerged to claim the regency for her son now that her biggest rival at court was ousted. And so many assume that she was the source She's the one. behind these rumors. She is the one. <laughs> Although Brunhild's rival Fredegin had earned the reputation for being the shrewder and more underhanded of the two queens, Brunhild emerged as a woman with equal cunning and guile. Yeah. This bid for power outraged many of the nobles in Francia. Most widowed queens sequestered themselves away in convents to disappear into history because they knew their place. Yeah. Brunhild's like, mm. <laughs> yeah, Brunhild was like, Nah, bruh. Kindly fuck off. Like, this is not happening. I am my own person here, yeah. and you guys are fucking up, so I'm yeah. going to take control. You guys are messing <laughs> this up, so I will do this. So once established as Queen Regent, Brunhild began to style herself as Regina Brunhild. Oh. This is our first instance of, like, Queen Brunhild. Yes. And the use of Regina in general in all of Europe. Hell yeah. She claimed that title for herself. Get it, Brunhild. <laughs> 
Brunhild was also the first woman in all of Western Europe in recorded history to stand in judgment over cases brought to court. Never had a woman exercised legal authority over subjects in any Western Euro European kingdom before this. The audacity. <laughs> we also see her starting to take an active role in international politics. All right. Brunhild's daughter, Ingund, was married off to a Visigoth prince in Hispania to reestablish an alliance with her homeland. When Ingun and her new husband became entangled in a civil war with Visigoth Spain, Ingun found herself taken hostage by the Byzantine Empire for her own safety. For her own safety? So basically what's <laughs> happening in Visigoth Spain. So. <laughs> uh, Explain it to us, Rachel. <laughs> so I think I mentioned this in the Fredigan episodes, but Brunhild's mother, Goiswintha, She's very much the um, kind of the power behind the throne. But just like how Fredigan was dealing with stepchildren yeah. in Neustria, Goiswintha is also dealing with that. Oh. So they have their own civil war now. Fucking stepchildren, man. <laughs> you know. So yeah, so Brunhild married her daughter um, to, I, I'm hoping it was like a stepson. Yeah. Of her mother's that was allied with them. Okay. But there's another stepson running around that's, oh, like, trying to claim Hispania. So they end up in a fight. Oh, jeez. Everyone's always fighting. So here is more of a Cliff Notes version. The Byzantine Empire wanted to reclaim Italy and the glory of the old Roman Empire and was constantly looking for ways to invade Italy. They needed Austrasia to do it because they needed to pass through the Austrasian border to go into northern Italy. Yeah. So um, Brunhild's kingdom in France is the portion that borders the northern part of Italy. Yeah. So to cross into Italy, you have to go through. Kind of have her to go kingdom. through that. Yeah. yeah. They're like, hey, don't mind us and our like huge armed force. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> We're just going on a hike. So Byzantium is constantly scheming on the sidelines throughout our entire story. There is even an exiled prince hanging around Ooh. Constantinople, <laughs> um, who was the bastard brother of Sigebert and Schilpert. Do you remember? Yeah, kind of. The, like a yeah. little bit. Um, we'll come back to him. I don't have him named here and I already forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> but the bastard prince is there. He's on the He's sidelines. He's the bastard too. prince. That's all we need to know. Um, he sounds vaguely intriguing. <laughs> but back to our story. So when the Byzantine emperor makes the mistake of sending a letter to her son, Brunhild wrote the following back to him. The letter directed to our most distinguished son, King Schildebert, from the clemency of your most serene sovereignty, arrived, and we have counseled peace. <laughs> hey, you don't write to my son. Yeah, you write to you me. You write to me, homie. <laughs> Um, so Brunhild ends up being the one who negotiates an alliance with Constantinople in exchange for her daughter's release. Um, so she's she makes it clear that she is the power behind Austrasia. Uh, unfortunately, she's like, though, I am regent. <laughs> unfortunately, though, uh, the Byzantine Empire does not release her daughter right away. Oh no, she's kept as hostage. Oh no, and the agreement is you will get your daughter back, but you have to ally with us first. And help us reclaim Italy. She's like, I'm not... Oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing that's going on is her daughter has also given birth to a son. Oh, whoa. Okay. So the understanding is not only do they have Brunhild's daughter, but they also have a potential heir to the Visigoth kingdom. Ugh. 
The Byzantine Empire is nasty. Rude. Yeah. <laughs> Rude. You're nasty. You're nasty. They're just mean. <laughs> They're mean. And the plan is to cover a couple of those women. Hell yeah. Roughly around this era, okay. too. Cool, 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 cool. Now we have this alliance between the Byzantine Empire and the Kingdom of Austrasia. Brunhild was said to be eager to enter into this alliance. Her son, Schildebert, was now of an age where he would need to wet his green feet and gain some military experience. I thought you were going in a different direction. I was like, <laughs> what is what? <laughs> he's 14-ish. Uh, okay. So he's a man. He he's a man now. You must go almost die in battle and get traumatized. Fortunately, this campaign proves to be successful, and Schildebert proves himself to be the budding warrior king that the medieval era would have expected of him. Heck yeah. And this timing couldn't be more perfect. Oh, no. While on campaign in Italy, shocking news from the rival kingdom of Neustria arrived at Brunhild's court. Schilperk is dead. Schilperk is dead. Did not get murdered by his wife. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Everybody blamed Freddy. No! She had nothing again. I will die on this hill. <laughs> so, um, back in the kingdom of Neustria... Uh, Schilprick and Fredigan, they've they've lost so many children. There are witch trials going on. Fredigan kills a lot of people. Fredigan is aggressive. <laughs> but they do end up having a son. Um, they are so terrified at this point of announcing his birth that they don't announce it. Yeah, they don't even name him. They don't name him um, because they were convinced of a dark conspiracy. Yeah, they're like, if you don't know he exists, you can't, you, you can't, can't kill him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Schilperic is returning from a hunting trip and he is greeted by a slave who miraculously has a poison dagger. I get why they him. might think. <laughs> Fredigan did it. Yeah. But yeah. As we know, it didn't make sense for Fredigan to kill him because she literally, her only uh, claim to any kind of nobility at this point would have been like a four-month-old child. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting if, like, Brunhild did that, but she did it to make it look like Fredigan did it? I honestly kind of think that is what happened. Right? Like, that's so perfect, because that is we... a Brunhild move. And it, the, the timing is, is very convenient. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. yeah. Brunhild did it. <laughs> um, so Brunhild finds herself in a very ironic role reversal. Fredigan had caused the deaths of both her sister and her husband. Uh, both husbands. <laughs> both, yeah. <laughs> the latter resulted in Brunhild facing down an enemy army and scrambling to ensure the safety of her young son. Now it was Fredigan who was hiding away in Paris, with an infant son at her breast and the current heir to the Neustrian throne. And this time it would be Brunhild that marched on the gates of Paris to take on her rival with her son now at her side. Yeah. Brunhild is at the front of this army. Yes! <laughs> The murder of King Schulprich of Neustria had been a popular subject for speculation um, for the next 1,500 years. Some people at the time, again, claimed Fredigan had killed her own husband. Too convenient. Um, so that she could take control. But as we mentioned, this didn't make sense at the time. Yeah. She was way too vulnerable to yeah. do this. <laughs> Others looked to Brunhild, whose vendetta against Fredigan and Schulprich was well known by this point. So for Brunhild's motivation, um, this is kind of what we have to consider. Her son is already the king of Austrasia. He is the heir to Burgundy. And now he's going to... And should he take Neustria, he is now in a position to unite the kingdoms of Francia under one banner. So it makes sense to yeah. do this. Yeah. And it makes sense for her to have been the one to orchestrate everything. Yeah. 
It turns out the speculation isn't too far-fetched, because when Brunhild received news of Schilperg's death, she was conveniently on her way to join up with her son's army as they traveled back from Italy. Also conveniently, they were only 20 miles outside the city that Schilperg had been assassinated. (laughs) (laughs) The moment they had heard Fredegin fled to Paris, Brunhild and her son's army led a mad chase after the frantic widow. But by the time they got to Paris, another army had already beaten her to the punch. Remember? Kind of. No. It's King Guntram's army. You're right, you're right, because she wrote to him and was like, look yep. at me, the damsel. In <laughs> the damsel. Oh, no, the tiny so baby. <laughs> yeah, so while Fredegin was terrified and frantic and had claimed sanctuary in Paris, she reaches out to King Guntram and she says, I am a dainty widow now and I need your help and my tiny baby, baby and I are in danger. Only you can help us, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan, Guntram, shit. <laughs> so yeah, Guntram ends up making it to the city before Brunhild, and to her shock, he, he shuts the gates on her. I just imagine. Right as she like, arrives. When she arrives, they make eye contact as he's like, he's got both hands on yes, the doors. Yes, Because they are double doors. <laughs> yes. And he's got both hands on the doors, and he gives her like this shitty little smirk and just closes the doors. Okay, those doors are a bit too big for him to no, close. No, 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 no. He, he does like this weird he's, whole thing. I, I see him, yes. He's like on oh, his horse. Oh, you know horse. what? He's, no, I feel like he stands in that center while the slaves close yes. the door, and then he's giving her that shitty smirk. Like, that like shit-eating eating grin. <laughs> Yeah, because as we'll find out, so he and Brunhild were, like, loosely allied, because, again, he's named Brunhild's son as her heir, but he really does not like strong women. Yeah. He does not like that Brunhild is running things. Well, yeah, he doesn't like strong women as he, like, run, like, sprints to the aid of the damsel. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) did you forget who Freddy was? This one has pledged herself to me, so you, Brunhild. Stuck in the cold. Sorry. Bye bye. Everyone's like this motherfucker. <laughs> Turns out the silver tongue of our Fredegin had won the day again. The Neustrian queen offered her kingdom to Guntram in exchange for his protection. Brunhild now had no other option at that point but to turn her son's army around and march back to the territories of Austrasia. <laughs> and here is where we shall pause our story. <laughs> We'll pause our story with um, Freddy, now a damsel, and Brunhild simmering yeah. that she has been betrayed by Guntram. Oh, no. <laughs> we'll have to, if you would like to find out what Brunhild does, you will have to come, come back, back for part two. For part two. Oh, yeah. Woo! It's the first part of our story. How's, like it, it. how's it panning out for you? It's what are great. You, what are you thinking of Brunhild right I now? I like her. She's great. Right? <laughs> she hasn't murdered anyone that we know of, so. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> not yet. She's a lot more... Well, she might have murdered someone. Won someone. Yeah. An important someone. But, yeah. like, we're not sure. Actually, she probably... I like to think she, she definitely did. did. <laughs> For the most part, like, it's it's kind of justified. It's yeah. like... It's For like... legal reasons, she's not serious. <laughs> <laughs> we don't justify or condone murder. Or assassinations is, with poison blades. Um... It's getting justice for her murdered sister. Yeah. So... Yeah. And she had pledged. She was like, I will um, get justice... Yeah. From those murderers. Yeah. So that's one under her belt. Boom. <laughs> um, so I have some pictures. This is an 18th century Ooh. portrait of Brunhild. She's um, in this one. She's She kind of looks like a, as if she were in a convent. She's yeah, she got, looks like she's got the nun. She's got, like, up. yeah, the getup. It's still the, the crown atop her head. Yeah. And Maps. this is our map. Hell yeah. Of the Frankish kingdoms. I don't think I have any other 
Oh. Oh. Uh, Ooh, that's this cool. This is Brunhild against Fredegan. Yes. So in this image, um, do I have, I say who yeah. did this painting? No. It's up top, right? Isn't it? No, it just says Brunhild and oh, Fredigan. It's really cool, though. So in it's this cool painting, painting, Brunhild is wearing her chainmail and cloak, oh, and she's got the like Viking helmet on her head, and Fredigan is sitting there all dainty, oh, no. like, "Don't attack me, <laughs> Jesus." But yeah. So, um, my sources for this episode were the Wikipedias, the but Wikipedia. also the main source, of course, Dark Queens by Shelley Puhok. Hell yeah. And yeah. That is an aggressive helmet. I like it. Yes. It's got wings and yes. everything. Do you have any viewpoint on like who you're rooting for at this point? Um, I mean, I like that in theory, Brunhilf has done it all like without Murdering potentially murdering people. anyone yeah yeah she's or she only has it. one murder under her belt <laughs> again very like if you're looking at game of thrones it's kind of like the starks versus the lannisters the starks yeah. and brunhild being the more honorable of the mm-hmm. two whereas the lannisters are very conniving and yeah aren't they don't give a shit they who... don't give a shit about marry yeah. or marrying <laughs> murdering murdering their own people Murder. so yeah 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 <laughs> random question time random question time so, I've already mentioned Akatar, which is a court of <laughs> thorns and roses. Um, so, our random questions, slightly related to that. It's a two-parter. If, Excuse me. If you were to be part of the Fey realm, which Fey court would you be part of? And what would your element and powers be? Can you all go first? Sure. That's your question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would choose the winter court. Um, I like the idea. I just love the idea of winter and it's... It's all gloomy and depressing, but everything is just covered in snow. It's beautiful. Everything's beautiful. Um, all of the the fae there, they have icy, wintry hearts. Yeah. And um, obviously, I just said it, that would be my element. It would be ice. And I would just blank everything, blanket everything in ice. And oh, yeah. my powers would be related to ice. I like it. freezing everything. Blizzards <laughs> everywhere. Blizzards everywhere. <laughs> Ice tornadoes, uh, like yeah, that's I my court. I picture it to be very, very silvery, very open. Silvers and blues and purples. Yes, and, yeah, yeah, and like icy colors. Very icy. It's not snowing on the inside, but you still get that impression of like it is frigid and yeah. cold. And I am just <laughs> loving it. Yeah, living my best I can, life. I can imagine the clothes in there. Yes, clothes would be beautiful. Oh yeah, I, I picture the again same colors like blues and silvers and purples and like just just like ice kind yes. of um ice and almost like I can a, imagine like flowy fabrics but like accented with sharp metal and yes yeah yeah, yeah it's very, very sharp edges sharp and um god what's the word I'm looking for shoulder blades would be aggressive oh yeah <laughs> If uh, if you've ever played Elden Ring and, and you think of Ronnie, she's the queen of the moon, but she it almost looks like cold is permeating from yeah. her. Like yeah. that's that's how my court would oh, be. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> what about you? Uh so I would pick the night court just because I love nighttime. Like winter would be a close second, but like yeah. I'm same with me for the night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just the night court is very like mysterious and cast in shadows and I, I like that 
that uh i picture it's always nighttime oh yeah in there always around. nighttime you got the stars you got the moon the moonlight you got, yeah yeah um and my power would be like i really want i fire would be my power but like a close second would be water only because you can manipulate water in yes. so many different ways yeah but like fire would definitely be my power because that is like what is in my heart it's like you know i'm a fiery person and i'm like I picture a passionate it still person being like an icy blue fire but it, yeah but it's like cold fire it's yeah. not like like the you know the bright warm, red comforting yeah. it's that so hot like it melts everything yeah yes. like a black silvery flame God, that I would be it. my yeah because you know it. nighttime yeah. but yeah i just i just like that idea and of course the clothes would be all like dark with like almost like not i love the way they accents but like the way they described um is it ricent or recent 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 yeah um he's still very one note villain for me in book <laughs> one but i love the way she describes him where it's almost like tendrils of black smoke yeah and it it just like seems like the night the night yeah like, like cloaked in the night yeah. cloaked in this like black shadow i yeah. thought that was very cool yeah. the way she described it. and i do like the whole the whole concept of like almost like i would almost want shadows as my power but like i like yeah. the fiery part so like i've done that in D &D. i could do manipulating like i could manipulate shadows and like shadows would dance for me like i'd be like a shadow dancer but like Ooh. but fire is my power yeah like that's me. <laughs> I I was in a I had a D&D &D campaign. Um it was an evil campaign. Mm -hmm. So we were drow characters. They're basically like the dark elves that live underground yeah. in the world of D&D &D. and um I used shadow um as one of my main forms of spells. Yeah. I remember one of my spells was literally like taking control of a person's shadow and using it to like anchor them to yes. the ground and like eventually just wrap them in shadow and kill them oh, yeah. slowly like suffocate them so i love the idea of like moving in shadows and like shadow bending yeah and like you yeah you're and, almost like an assassin kind yeah. of where like people don't see you Very until it's stealthy. too late like which makes sense because if you're operating in the shadows you can kind of weave in and out of yeah them. like you wouldn't be visible in the night yeah or in the light yeah yeah Hell yeah. Yeah, because there's still shadows in the light, so. Are you going to play Baldur's Gate with me? You can play it now. It's on PlayStation. Maybe. Because you you get to play with so many different powers. Um, yeah. if I always like, love the idea of being able to, like, manipulate the elements and yeah. stuff. Like, that's always been so cool. Yeah. I mean, I have to wait <laughs> until it hits Xbox, which is supposedly sometime before November. Like, give me a date so I <laughs> can Give me a date so I know. <laughs> and I can romance Asterion, my... Your roguish toxic <laughs> vampire boyfriend oh man <laughs> um who i can change for the better or make worse <laughs> but also like just to say like there would be glitter in my court for sure. oh yeah <laughs> everywhere but yeah the night that'd be like your the stars. stars and stuff yeah. yeah i love it but like love it. clear like gossamer yes. but with rhinestones in it like oh god yeah yeah you would look like literally shrouded in the night yeah yeah, that would be a badass bitch. Our court's <laughs> meeting would be so dark. And oh, gloomy. yeah. We'd be friends for sure. Oh, yeah. We would ally. <laughs> like, fuck spring. Fuck People summer. People would be scared. What was that thing you sent me where it was like Virgo and Aries? Like, if you're gonna... If you're gonna come for them... Don't miss. Yeah, don't yeah, miss. That would be us, for sure. Yeah, and it was very much... Aries is talk shit, get hit. And then Virgo is just like, they have receipts. Like, if you yeah. can't back yourself up, like... Don't come for them. When they come together. Yeah. <laughs> that would be so cool. Yeah. We should write 
a story together. Yes. Like you write your character and yeah. I write my character. That would be so That's fun. That's how Mandy and I became friends. We did that. That would be so Let's do fun. it. I'm down. Let's talk to Mandy too. She'd, yes. she'd totally get involved. I feel like Mandy would be like the bright spot of our little trio. She might. Yeah. Yeah. She comes up with the most, like nobody knows Mandy, but I'm going to tell her to listen to the end of this episode. Um, she, listen to the whole damn thing, Mandy. <laughs> she's my bestie. She does listen to the episodes. I know. Um, She's one of my best friends, and we started by writing together online and then ended up meeting in person. You sent me a link. Yeah. I read some of it. Yeah, but we – she she misses writing with me. I miss writing with her. It's just hard to find the time because I'm yeah. writing this. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I'll, I'll pitch it to her. She might oh, be yeah. down for it. So, I can yeah. just see her being like the – not like – like spring. I feel like she would choose spring. Or May, summer. I really don't know. She <laughs> she writes all over the place. She's like I. It's funny. We always tell each other. Yeah, I was intimidated to write with you because her writing is so good. And yes. we're always like, yeah, like I didn't feel I was worthy to write with you, but we both felt that way. And, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Writers never feel worthy. Like, yeah, that's a thing. It's a character trait for writers. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, so that was part part one of Brunhild. Come back for part two. Hell yeah. Um, and uh, wherever you're listening to this in your ear hole, ear holes, <laughs> ear holes, you can really, really help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you're listening to this. Uh, share it, share, share it on it social with media, everyone. text your friends. Um, it helps us get the word out. Yeah. Um, you can. They don't write even to have us. to really listen to us; just play it. Yeah, play it, it out, in the background. The side, That's what I fine. tell people. <laughs> um, I was talking to Drizzy really quick. He was like, yeah, I was looking at my Spotify, um, like, uh, counts for podcasts. Yeah. And he was like, yours is the one I've listened to the most. 600 listens. Hell Because he yes. just listens to the whole thing, like, <laughs> over and over. I was just like. I love it. I was like, you're like a tenth of our listens. Thanks for so, that. Thanks, Jersey. <laughs> um, but yeah. You get a gold star. You get a gold and star. A <laughs> we a love Rachel. you. I was joking with him. Um we were playing online the other night and he was like yeah um if i come visit you i want to meet kat and i was like you will absolutely hey. meet her <laughs> he was like, hey hi i'm jersey not to be confused not to be jersey. confused with jersey <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's awesome but yeah if you'd like to reach out to us but yeah <laughs> you can reach us at difficult.damsels at gmail.com we also on the facebook and the instagram at difficult damsels the podcast I don't know yeah. why I have to say it weird every time. I can't say it normal now. We don't know how it's to ridiculous. end this. We don't know how to so. act, guys. We're awkward as hell. It's Part, fine. I'm getting antsy because I really have to pee. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, stay difficult. Make sure stay you Stay difficult. Pee. And, um, yeah, if somebody tries to lock you away in a convent, just marry their son. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> stay difficult. Woo!